John chapter 8. We're in the middle of a uh, sermon series, as Lisa mentioned, called We Are Family. Looking at this family metaphor that the Lord provides for us in Scripture. Uh, there's many different metaphors that, are, uh, that the church and the people of God are likened to. And this is one that I would argue is uh, one of the primary ones and certainly one of the more prevalent ones throughout the New Testament. So we're not just trying to prove that point, but we're trying to see, okay, well, that, then now what? Right? We are family. Dot, dot, dot. So what? Is that just, you know, a big, we're one big hap, hap, happy family. We can hug each other and, 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 you know, hold hands and skip through the grass. Or does this mean we are to act accordingly? Are there certain ways that we're to behave with one another? Are there certain ways we're to view one another? And we're in the middle of that series now. And today we're going to look at the gospel of John. Uh, the title of the message is Mercy, Loosening Our Grips on the Rocks We Hold Tight. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 8. Verses 1 through 11. So I'd like to ask you if you're physically able to please stand at this time in honor of the reading of God's word. And read along silently as I read aloud from the gospel of John chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. Technically beginning in 753. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is among you, without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Lord, this is your word. Christ, you are the word made flesh. We are grateful to hear from you this day. Grant now, Lord, that as a result of the hearing and the preaching of your word, our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be changed, our minds would be renewed, that people who know you not would come to know you and those of us who know And love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would leave here loving him all the more and wanting all the more to be like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, from the outset, uh, I want to deal with what I'm calling the exegetical elephant in the room. And that is the fact that if you look in your Bibles, um, you probably have some sort of statement uh, around Verse 53 of chapter 7, just before this account, 
that says something to the effect of, not really sure if this was in the original text. How many of you have something to that effect in your, in your Bible? So we can, or at least you'll notice that the text that I just read is in literally in brackets or in parentheses. How many of you see that in your Bible? So it's highlighting the fact that this is parenthetical. Now, we could just skip over that and say, oh, heck, it's probably just fine. But I want to at least take a moment to address that because I think it's important because the Bible comes under attack a lot, okay, particularly from the outside world, saying we're not sure if this is the real thing. We're not sure if this is the real deal. And here we have within the pages of Scripture, (laughs) very Scripture saying, we're not sure if this is the real deal. So we really should deal with that and talk about that just for a moment because my whole sermon is based on this passage. So we really do need to, and, and if we, yeah, so I don't, I've got nothing if you don't agree with me that this is scripture. So um, what you need to know, first of all, is that the New Testament in general, as far as just historical documents is concerned, as far as common practices of textual criticism and, 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 and viewing historical documents is concerned. So I mean, take away your love for Jesus, take away the fact whether or not you're a Christian and just look at it as a historical document. The New Testament in particular is one of the most well-attested documents in all of history. You're not going to hear that in a college classroom. You're not going to hear that uh, in the secular world. Uh, All you'll hear is that there's reasons to doubt, there's reasons to question, and then they point to things like this. But I need to let you know that in general, and we can't get into it today, I wish we could, but we don't have the time, that the New Testament, the Bible as a whole, and particularly the New Testament, is one of the most well-attested historical documents that we have for us today. Uh, There's more evidence going for Uh, the New Testament than there is for Homer's Iliad. How many of you had the joy of dialoguing or uh, of reading or having some sort of interaction with Homer's Iliad at some point throughout your life? Don't worry, today is a message on mercy. I hope that that reaches you. But you have to understand, Homer's Iliad can't light a candle to the New Testament as far as how we can prove that this is an original document. Now, I don't know how many of you in that classroom setting had your professor say, now listen, I just want to let you know, We're not too sure. That never happens. Does that ever happen? It never happens. The New Testament has more evidence going for it than anything that we have on Plato. I don't know how many of you have studied or interacted with Plato at all, but very rarely do people look at you before they talk to you about Plato and say, now, now, wait a minute. Just got to let you know. We're like kind of sure that this is platonic. That doesn't happen. But when it comes to the New Testament, people are always launching rocks at it and saying, we don't know if this is true, we don't know if this is true. And I'm here to tell you that if you did a side-by-side comparison, if we had time to do that, you would see the landslide of evidence showing that your Bible is what it says it is. That this was, uh, is very, very, very close to the original documents. And what you need to realize is that there are a handful of passages that are questioned because there are older copies of the scripture, particularly the Gospels, that uh, don't include this particular passage. So there's older copies of the Gospel of John that doesn't have this passage. If you look at uh, chapter 7 and verse 52, and then you were to skip this and go to chapter 8 and verse 12, it would flow perfectly. So the placement within the Gospel is under question. We're wondering, is this the real deal? Now, there are a variety of possibilities as to why this is not included in the older documents. One possibility suggested by Augustine that makes a little sense but kind of doesn't is that the early church fathers who were well-intended, but the best of men are men at best, 
thought that the church was overrun with adultery and immorality and fornication and thought, you know what, this passage, this is kind of cool, but it appears as if Jesus is going a little light on adultery. Let's just not Let's just not put that in the writings. We can look at other parts of, and, and see Jesus' mercy. Let's not highlight that. Let's just set that aside and just take it out. So there's one argument that says it was in the original text, but then church fathers and the early church said, you know what, this is confusing. Let's put it aside. But that would make no sense as to why they would leave in something like the woman at the well. So there's, there's other passages that you would have taken out if you were trying to do that. But that's one argument that people said, you know what, let's just take this out. The, the, the scripture was not complete and canonized and popularized among people that day. So let's just take this out and set it aside. And then later on, someone said, no, seriously, let's put it back in. People don't comment on this until the 12th century. So it, it, that's, we, we don't know. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that this was an oral tradition that never hit the pages of the original Gospel of John, but that oral tradition passed it down and people then included it. Now, when I say oral tradition, you might think, oh, that's like a story great-grandma told that grandma tells, that mom tells, that I tell, and that my kids tell. That's not what oral tradition is at all. Oral tradition, actually, was a very reliable source of history. People would relay things orally for centuries and centuries. So oral tradition does not heap uh, insult on the word of God. It really just firms it up. That's another possibility. But see, here's, here's something that you need to realize and why I'm comfortable preaching this text. If it's not intended to be scripture, it's still scriptural. Let me see if I can explain that. Everything that's depicted in this account can be found elsewhere in scripture. Does that make sense? The hatred of the Pharisees, the love of Christ, Jesus treating a sinner with mercy instead of judgment. All this is not unique to this passage. So even if it wasn't in the original writings, this still upholds what we know about Christ, what we know about the Pharisees, what we know about how, how, how Jesus treated sinners and how he, how he had contempt for judgment. This may not have been in the original pages of, uh, of Scripture, but that which is contained within here is scriptural. It highlights things found elsewhere within the pages of Scripture. Keep your finger in John chapter 8 and turn over to another problem passage in Mark 16. Just keep your, we're only going to spend like literally 60 seconds in Mark 16. So make sure you can get back to John 8 pretty quickly. Mark 16. Now you'll see before verse 9 or around verse 9, we see something very similar. We see another, another statement here that says, we're not sure if this is the real deal, right? Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. Uh, this is the great commission as Mark recorded it. And if you skip down in Mark 16 to verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Okay. This is a text that we also don't know if it really was intended to be in the original documents because the oldest documents don't have it. I would say this text personally is questionable. Why? This is the only time in scripture that we see something like this. This is the only time in scripture that we see. And you know what? A sign that will accompany people who go out and preach the gospel and love Jesus is they're going to hold snakes and not die. And they're going to drink poison and not die. This is the time in scripture where we see this. Furthermore, as people have tried this throughout the ages, it has brought them really close to Jesus as in face to face because they died. So I don't think this is in the same category as John 8. Does, 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 does that make sense? This is not scriptural. We don't see this elsewhere. But here's the bottom line. Go back to John chapter 8. Let me say this, and this might, I'm not sure if this is right to say, but here I go. 
I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. I think if you remove the problem text from, so I want to look back and say, you know what, all right, fine. Take out the problem text from Scripture. We don't lose a lot. Take out John 8 and see if you can't prove that Jesus is still merciful to sinners. Take out Mark 16 and see if you can't prove that there's a great commission given to the disciples. If you take it, lit- so I'm not advocating for that, but if I, wa- I kind of want to, you know, chest bump and look back at the other person, say, all right, fine, then just take out those problem passages from the New Testament. What are we left with? Oh, you're still a sinner in need of a savior, and Jesus Christ is still the way, the truth, and the life. Like, it doesn't take a lot away from Scripture, so it really doesn't matter. So, hopefully, that was somewhat helpful, and hopefully, uh, you're ready to move ahead with me because I'm... I'm, gonna, I'm still going to preach this passage, so please stay, hopefully. And uh, what I want to do is I want to walk through this story together, and uh, I hope and pray to do my best to paint a picture for you as I understand it from the Word of God, what this scene was probably like. So take a look at John chapter 8, and let's look at verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so he goes up onto a mountain. We see that many, many times. Jesus withdraws to pray. Jesus has many mountaintop experiences, no pun intended. Like he literally goes up to the Mount of Olives and goes to the top of mountains to do ministry and to interact with his father in a way that is very intimate. We're not told what he did at the Mount of Olives, but we know that he then came down. Look at verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. So the picture that's being painted here is not one of public, formal teaching like this. It's early in the morning, right? The town is fairly quiet. He comes down from the mountain. He goes into the temple. He's sitting. He's reclining. People come, and they're having probably the most awesome quiet time one could have because the person leading it is the Son of God, right? So they're, they're hearing from Jesus face-to-face, and he's just teaching them. What he's teaching them, we don't know, but I think the picture that's painted here is a real quiet, comfortable setting with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we just pause and say, how cool would that be? Right? How many of you would leave here in a skinny minute to ditch Third Peter and go listen to Jesus, like himself, if he was over in the antique center sitting around a cup of coffee? Grab a scone, hear from Jesus face to face. And he sat down and he taught them. Now, in verse 3, the scene changes dramatically. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. They said to him, teacher, this woman had been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? So all of a sudden... I don't know if the sound would have been sudden or if it would have been like this rumble. They're sitting around hearing from Jesus, you know, eating their scones or whatever and and, and enjoying the, the teaching that the Lord is giving them to their face. And all of a sudden, there's this rumble of this crowd that comes in and there is a woman among them who they then, if you look at the text, it said they placed her in their midst, verse three, literally in the center, in the center. So if they were sitting in a circle, if they were in some sort of a group, this woman was placed in clear eye shot of everyone who was gathered there, however many people there were. And then they said, teacher, just interrupting him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Here's what the law says. What do you say? 
And they specifically say in verse 5, Moses commanded to stone such women. So it doesn't seem they're like, so what do we do? We don't really know. This is kind of awkward. We just caught this woman in the act of adultery. We're not sure what to do. They tell Jesus what the law of Moses says, right? They tell him that. It's almost as if they're excited to apply it or excited to hear what he has to say. So what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of a sidestep and just make a, a couple of comments on stoning. So there are things that I think come to our minds. How many of you have ever seen a stoning? Okay. So there are things that come to our minds when we picture stoning, maybe based on what we've read or just based on the fact that we just read the Bible and we see that, you know, Stephen was stoned and we know stoning involves rocks and people and death. So we kind of just, we, we tie them all together and we probably get a good picture. This is not the type of stoning that you might be picturing for Stephen. Stephen was like a rogue stoning. There was a bunch of people got all ticked off of what he said, picked up rocks and stoned him. This would have been a legal stoning. Okay. This would have been like acting out capital punishment as outlined in the old testament it would have been it would have been very different it's not just a bunch of people picking up the nearest rock and just ah getting all mad this would have been you've been found guilty so this is how stoning would would work okay it's not like the crowd rushed her and stoned her um she would have been walked out usually outside the city there would have been uh, some sort of a, a pit. Based, this is based on the Mishnah, by the way. The Mishnah is a collection of oral traditions that people wrote down over how, how the law was applied, how the law was carried out. It's not in the scriptures. It's just a historical document. And what would have happened was the, uh, the pit was told to be twice a man's height. So let's call it 12, 15 feet, right? And there would have been jagged rocks at the bottom. And the uh, person who was found guilty probably would have had their, they would have had their hands tied behind their back. And they would have been thrown face first into the pit. Thrown face first into the pit. It it specifically says one of the witnesses would push him by the hips so that he was overturned on his his heart. Now, now oftentimes, a 15-foot fall, I mean, that that would oftentimes do the trick. Uh, If it didn't, then that the guilty party or the person found guilty... Right? This is not always guilty parties. Stephen was not guilty. The person found guilty would be turned over on their, on their back. Um, and again, the, n- nothing further would be done if the person was already dead. He would have been told that he, he had fulfilled his duty. The witness, the, the, the primary witness would be the one to push the person in the pit by the hips, face first. And if the person would have died, game over. We don't have to continue to pile rocks on. But if the person hadn't died, the person would be turned over um, and, and, and someone else would, would come along, the second witness, and would take a large stone and just, <clears throat> just drop it on the person as they were laying there on their chest. Um, and then if that didn't do it, Everyone else would, so they would go through the primary witnesses. There's a couple of witnesses, the primary witness, the secondary witness. Maybe there's a tertiary witness. That's a word, tertiary. Um, And then it's just like, all right, can we all just get a rock? And the crowd then would pick up rocks and drop it on the person until they were pronounced, until they were pronounced dead. 
Why do I bring this up? Because it says, the law says we should stone her. So I, I want you to know when they're saying the law said we should stone her, this would be what they're picturing. This would be what would have happened. This is what did happen. In fact, it happened for a variety of, of reasons. Things you could be stoned for in the Bible. Uh, touching Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. Um, breaking the Sabbath. Not taking one day and seven to rest. Stone him. Numbers 15. Child sacrifice, Leviticus 20. Being a medium or a wizard, also Leviticus 20. Cursing God or blaspheming, Leviticus 24. Uh, idolatry or someone who entices another to commit idolatry. Holding something higher than God. Stone him. Rebellion against parents. A woman who claimed to be a virgin at marriage, but was found out to not be. Stone her. Deuteronomy 22. Sex with a betrothed virgin. Stone her. Stone him. Deuteronomy 22. And adultery in Leviticus 20. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you, what, listen to the, watch, stop. What, what do you, stop. What do you say? What do you say? So, so you need to realize, being quick to pronounce judgment will lead you to do some very dark and sinful things. Being quick to pronounce judgment will lead you to do some very dark and sinful things. Because there's something else I want to I, I call to your attention. And that is in verse 4. Um, let's just go there. Teacher, this woman has been caught what? Teacher has been caught. There's three key words there. In the act of adultery. Now, we'll try to keep it a family-friendly show, but I have to call your attention to verse 4 and the words in the act for you to understand and really appreciate just how dark this is. This wasn't a case where someone had told someone else and someone else had told someone else and someone else had heard that this happened and, and, and someone else said, I just can't take this anymore. It just doesn't feel right, so I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to tell them that this is guilt and this person had a, and, and we found this person, so we're going to bring this person to have a trial. Did you do it? Yes, you did it. We pronounce you guilty. We stone you. In the act. That, that takes what's happening here to a whole different depth of darkness because um, how, pray tell, does one catch someone in the act without a ton of, of scheming? planning or premeditating on on their parts look at the time of day it's it's early in the morning right this probably just had happened literally just had happened how does this how does this even work so all takes place in the morning hours you don't you don't uh um i I mean it's pretty easy to 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 do this in a way that you would not place yourself uh, in, 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 in the way of somebody who may stumble upon you doing this. I understand sin makes you stupid, but this probably was not just that somebody caught them and said, 
gasp, adultery, come here now, we must judge you. That's probably not how this happened. This was probably planned. Why? Because there's an ulterior motive. Why? Because they really don't give a rip about adultery. They really want to test Jesus. So it's like, hey, let's do this. I have an idea. Uh, I, I, I have an idea. Uh, uh, here's what I'll do. I'll seduce the woman. Okay, here's what we could do. I'll, su- I'll seduce the woman, um, and if, let's, see if this, let's see if this will work. Who? Dude, I don't know. I've just, I, I'll, find, I'll, I'll figure it out. And if this happens, you know where I live, right? All right, cool. So if this happens, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put a little mark, put a rock over here, put a little stone over there, and put a little mark outside the door that you're going to know that I'm in there with her. And um, windows were just holes, not, not glass. So listen, dude, just you stay close by. And when you hear, when you, when you see, come in. Then we'll take her to Jesus and we'll test him. Where's the guy? The law commanded, but it takes two to tango. Can I say it? I said that. The law, the law says that both would be stoned. Little odd he's nowhere there. Isn't it amazing how a hunger and thirst for judgment could blind you so much to your own sin that you would stoop to this level to get something done. Friends, I'm telling you that when people rush to judge, rush to pronounce judgment, they're led to do some very dark, very sinful, very disgusting, very immoral, very ungodly things. So hungry were they for Jesus' blood. So dying were they to find this man guilty that they would go to this level. Being in a rush to judge makes you do some pretty crazy things, some, some pretty dark things. The scribes and the Pharisees, verse 3, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. So then they, they catch her, okay, catch her. This narrative, as you read it, doesn't seem to be, do, do, you, do you get the, let's interact. As you read this narrative, do you get the impression that this was a slow-moving event or that Stuff was happening. Uh, raise your hand if you say slow. Raise your hand if you say just feels fast. Right? It just, just in general, just the, the way it's, it's written seems to be like this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. So caught in the act, bust in the room, uh, ha, 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 probably didn't say, all right, listen, we're going to take you to the teacher. So just I'll avert my eyes while you put on something decent. Okay, probably it's moving, let's go. When you hear, when you see, you come in, you get her. Now, none of this is in the text. I just want you to understand how dark this may have been to some degree. You come in, you get her. Great, grab her, good, she gets it. Grab, maybe, maybe he's dressed, probably isn't dressed. These things, in case you don't know, typically are done undressed. So, so, so grab her, pull her out. She grabs a sheet, maybe wraps it around herself. She's being brought into the temple, probably to some degree not fully clothed. And is thrown in the center of them. Placing her in the midst of them. Most people who rush to pick up rocks have an ulterior motive. 
Most people who rush to pick up rocks have an ulterior motive. It's never just what you see right then and there. There's something going on. And that's the case here. Because if you look at verse 5, it says, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to sown such women. So what do you say? If they purely wanted justice, right? Just, we're just concerned for justice. We're just concerned that we keep the law of God. Why would they go to Jesus? Why, even, why stop there? That seems like an unnecessary rest stop. Why don't they just take her to the place where she would be judged? But instead they go to Jesus, tell him what the law says, and then say, what do you say? But we don't have to wonder. Verse 6 says, this they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Now, now in John 6 and elsewhere in scripture, Jesus tests the disciples. Jesus tests the disciples. Sometimes when he's like, oh, so, you know, where are we going to get any bread? Remember when the disciples tell Jesus, um, uh, where well, like we, we need to feed these people and jesus goes well Oh, oh my where will we get this bread? You know, you can picture him kind of smiling thinking where will we get this bread? What with me being god and all? That's like a playful test. He's, he's using that to, to 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 prove a point. This is not the same word. This is a destructive test. This is a a tearing down This is a test. How many of you have ever taken a test where you're like this guy's out to kill me like the professor's out to kill me, the teacher's out to kill me, and with that obscure question that you're like, we didn't even cover this. And he's like, it's in the footnote in the textbook. Like that's the type of test, a destructive, tear you down test. That's what's being done here. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They don't give a rip about this woman. They don't give a rip about adultery. They just want Jesus dead. And as I was reflecting upon this, I was thinking, why do, we, why do we rush to collect rocks? Why do we like to collect rocks? Remember I said there's ulterior motive? So I suggested in your outline five reasons we like to collect rocks. What might be at play when we're so quick to pick up a rock? Why do we, why do we like this? I said, number one, it's easy. Quite frankly, there's just a lot to throw rocks at in our world. You don't have to look. You know, you could probably throw a rock pretty, pretty randomly and hit some sort of sin, right? We, we, there's a lot in this world for us to throw rocks at. There's a lot in this world for us to say, this is wrong. This is bad. This is ungodly. It's easy. This is not like, oh, I don't know what I would do. It's like, I don't know if there's enough rocks, dude. Like, that, that's the problem. So it's easy to pick up rocks and find, just, just find an agenda, find a pet peeve, get a pet rock, and throw it at the nearest sin that you see. It's just easy. Number two, tell me if you just agree with this. It just seems like everybody's doing it. Doesn't it seem like everyone's just ticked off and throwing a rock at something these days? Christian, non-Christian, doesn't really matter. Just everyone's got a rock and everyone's launching it. Here's another, it's just, just join the club. Everyone's talking about what they're against. Not many people are talking about what they're for. Everyone's picking up a rock, talking about something, whether it's politics or whether it's, whether it's public policy or private actions or how Christians handle themselves or how non-Christians handle themselves. Everyone's got a rock. Just join the crowd, get a rock. It's easy. Everybody's doing it. Um, it feels effective. You feel like you accomplished something. <laughs> I just clicked post. <laughs> That's right. Kind of a big deal. I just declared someone guilty. I just judged someone. I spoke the truth. I'm a truth guy. Kind of a big deal. You at least have this sense that you've accomplished something. Whether or not you have is a completely different thing. Uh, closely related, it's kind of enjoyable. Everyone who was gathered there with the exception of Christ, was a sinner. At that moment, 
no, all the attention was on one person and one sin. And no matter what I had committed, uh, that's far from my mind. Because guess what? At least I'm not her. With a bed she'd wrapped around her like this. I'm not her. I just feel better about myself. Throw that rock, I feel better about myself. I've done something. What about what I've done? What about my sin? What about my heart? Finish the sentence. Love the sinner, hate the... Let's try it again. Love the sinner, hate the... How about love the sinner, hate your own sin? But yeah, all I have to do is find someone a little, a, a little worse than me. Done it, so I might commit acceptable sins. This is a, this is a largely, uh, e- even in secular society, for the most part, I'm, there's some places where I'm sure, and some people I'm sure where this is not a big deal. For most people, this is on some level a big deal. And I'm not doing that. I may be a glutton. I may be a gossip. I'm not an adulterer. Pfft. And I kind of ran over that first, that last one. Escape. It temporarily takes your sin out of the limelight and your heart and focuses you on the sin of another. What are your pet rocks? What's the thing? Who are the people? What's the issue that you are just quick to pick up a rock it might be, is adultery a sin? How many of you p- here think the moral of the story is Jesus doesn't care about adultery? Absolutely not. Your issue, your beef, your pet rock might, might be legit. I would, I'll even assume the best. I will assume it's legit. Want to know when that issue, when that person crosses your path, how fast are you to... You're ready. Got a rock Ready. And I just want to call your attention to the fact that the people in the story had an ulterior motive. It wasn't so much that they hated the sin. It wasn't even so much that they hated the sinner. And I want to challenge you that for whatever your pet rock is, there might be, probably is something else going on in your heart. I could never begin to address it from the pulpit. I, I don't know. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know what your thing is. You don't know what my deal is. You don't know what my, my pet rock is. But I'm just encouraging you to consider what are the things that you're like, and just say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to just leave that there for a minute and take some time and go up to my own personal Mount of Olives and just, let me just think about this. God, search my heart, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me, Psalm 139, and lead me in your way. Because most times when people rush to grab rocks, there's something else. There's something else at play. Verse 6, this they said to test him. So Jesus is, uh, can I say this, caught between a rock and a hard place. And, and, and this is why. Because if Jesus says, yes, we should stone her, he's breaking the Roman law. Because he's not allowed, you're not allowed to impose capital punishment. Uh, if he says, let her, uh, and he's also, um, uh, he, he's losing his. His, his reputation for being compassionate towards sinners, right? If he says, let her go, he violates the Mosaic law. This is a clever trap that they've got him in because he's kind of 
up a creek either way, no matter what he says. So what does Jesus do? Would you look at verse 7 with me? And as they continued to ask him, okay, so, so as they continued to ask him, so I want you to understand, oh, actually, back up to verse 6. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So what does Jesus do? The, he, he decides, I think what I need to do right now is right on the ground. I'm just reading the text. I don't know. I, I don't know. So, hey, she's guilty. Hey, look at, look at her. Look at her. She's guilty. Here's what the law says. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? And then if you see in verse, uh, verse 7, as they what? Continue to ask him, what do you say? Jesus, what do you, Jesus, hey, Jesus, what do you say? Look, Jesus, look, stop, stop, dude, stop. I know, Jesus, what do you, what do you say? What do you say? And Jesus gets, decides to write on the ground, okay? <laughs> hey, what do you say, Jesus? What do you what do you say? What are you doing? What's he, dude, what's he doing? Why is he writing on the ground? Now, we're not told what he, what he was writing. If you've ever studied this passage or read anything on it, people want to talk about what he's writing. I kind of wonder, well, thanks, John. Wow, thanks for recording the fact that he wrote, but you didn't tell me what he wrote. I don't, what, Sudoku? I don't, I don't know. Well, what, why would you write down the fact that he was writing and not tell me what he wrote? Why would Jesus do that? That's so random. Jesus, whoa, lightning. Jesus is never random, right? There's always, it's not random, not random. But, but what was he doing? Maybe he was writing acceptable sins. Gossip. Gluttony. Maybe he was writing names of people in the crowd. Caiaphas. Joseph. I don't know. It, he, he stops. He, he bends down. And he writes, and while, so he's writing, hey, Jesus, what do we do? Jesus, she's guilty, what do we do? Look at her, look, she's guilty, we caught her in the act, man. We, we, it's not like we're wondering, we call, what do we, the law says to stone her, what do we do? What do we do? And then the text says that he, he stood up, verse seven, they continue to ask him, he stood up, and he said to them, so it's, hey, Jesus, what do we do? Jesus, what do you write? Jesus, what do we, hey, can you maybe, hey, what do we do? She's guilty. You know, the law says to stone her. What do we do? Not in the text. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think he gave them a look. Just say amen if you think he gave them a look. Like, it just fits the, okay, I'm alone. I still think he gave them a look. He, he, just, what do we do? What do we do? What, how many of you had a dad who could give a look? Okay, well, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And this, just what I picture. What do we do? What do we do? All right. We'll stone her. Um, the person who, among you who has no sin, you, you throw. So before you take... You, Work that out so you know who has to carry that rock. So the person among you with no sin, 
you can cast, you can cast that stone. Jesus never says don't stone her. Never. All right. Here's what we'll do. Whoever's among you without sin, you throw that first stone. And then you know what he does? He goes back to his writing. You got to laugh. It... Back down on the ground. He upholds the law. This group was smart. Jesus was smarter. What does Jesus do? Upholds the law of Moses. Doesn't break the law of Rome. Oh, and P.S. stretches out the law among everyone else who's there as well. So in the beginning of the story, we have four, we'll call it categories of Jesus. Uh, No, wrong. Four categories of people. One, Jesus, we'll give him his own category. Two, the adulterous woman, we'll give her her own category. Three, the people who were sitting around him just listening for teaching. Four, the people who came in carrying this woman. He among you who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now there's two categories of people. One, Jesus. Two, not Jesus. All of a sudden, the ground is level. What a different scene now. Beforehand, Jesus is riding on the ground and people are screaming and calling for judgment, right? Trying to trick him. Dude, we got him. There's no way. I mean, look, he can either say stoner and that's wrong. He can say don't stoner and that's wrong. We got her. So Jesus is on the ground. The people, what do we do? What do we do? She's somehow over here. Just, 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 just. I, I don't know why. She's not the main character in the story. I can't get, can I just say this? I can't get my mind. She had a dad. I don't know. I can't. She's not the main point. What do we do? What do we do? She's standing over here, uh, caught, guilty. What do we do? What do we do? She can't get away. What do we do? What do we do? And here's Jesus on the ground doing his drawing thing. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? He stands up. All right, guess what? Whoever's, here's who can throw the first pitch. Here's who can throw the first stone. Whoever among you is without sin, you do it. Gets back down. He's drawing in the same spot. Do you think there's still people yelling? Do you think there's much discussion? I don't, do you have sin? I don't know if I have sin. Do I have sin? Maybe I can throw it. I think he probably, no. No, nothing. He gets back down. Uh, but look at verse 9. Look at verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. A whole verse is dedicated to the fact that he, whatever. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9. And when they heard it, what? They began, uh, they went away one by one. So, woman caught in the act. Guilty, absolutely guilty. Woman caught in the act. Jesus bent down. Nobody's screaming anymore. There's two sounds. Footsteps. And rocks being dropped. As Jesus... Writes on the ground.
Please look at verse 9. When they heard it, they went away one by one. Who went first? The older ones. Beginning with the older ones. And that's why I put in your outline that Roman numeral three. Life experience and God's word both lead us to do one thing, and that is drop the rock. Why do you think it's recorded specifically that the older ones went away first? Who cares? Like, wouldn't it be enough just to know Jesus said that? Then he went back to his writing, and people left and didn't stone her. Moral of done. There's a detail there, and I don't know why it's there, but it, it occurs to me at least maybe there's, you know, there's older people and there's younger people. And when Jesus says that, the older people among them are just like, oh, goodness, I've lived long enough to know. Yeah, I'm done. Here's some other young buck. But what do you mean? We came all this way. And she's guilty. Look at her. She, we brought her here. The plan worked. What are we doing? And the, it's some older person. This is what I picture. What I picture. Come on. You don't get, just come on. I'll tell you on the way home. But we, we got, I got a rock. You got a rock. Dad, what do you mean? We've got a rock. But the older wiser, more experienced person hears this, is cut to the heart, and is like, this is, come on, I'll tell you, I'll explain it to you. But we didn't, but she's guilty. The law says, just, dude, come on, let's go. Uh, Do you know what I need? Do you know what this church needs? Listen to me, those of you who consider yourselves to be older. You like how I stayed out of the you're welcome. I literally thought like for four minutes when I was proving, like, how do I say this? I don't need older, ornery, I've earned my right to be rough around the edges men in this church. I don't need to obey scripture because I'm, you don't understand, I've put in my time. And blah, 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 blah. I don't need to do this. I'll, tell you, I'll stone this person because back in my day, blah, 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 blah. Listen, I don't want to hear, listen, I want to say this lovingly and without, I'm trying to feel bad for saying this. It's, I'm, I'm still trying. I don't need your judgmental way. I've earned my right to be judgmental. The heck you have. I need people who have walked with the Lord longer than me, people who have lived life longer than me, people who are aware of their own sin and their Savior for longer than I have to model mercy. For the times when I want to just follow through with the elbow so that it could be, no, dude, you don't, here, just. Every, mo, someone here is the youngest. This obviously wouldn't apply to you. But everyone here can, can, can be a model to somebody. Everybody here is an older person to somebody in their life. And I need, we need mercy modeled among us. We are family. We need mercy modeled. Well, I'll tell you what, I, read, I, I, I just don't, just ain't nobody got time for that. We, life is short. Hell is hot. People matter. Jesus saves. I need people to model mercy among us. I, I, I can preach it. Brad can preach it. But do you know what preaches louder? I shut up. I have to shut up in six minutes. I have to. There's 167 other hours in the week where you live out sermons, where you live out the gospel, where you live life among each other, where you go to work and play and raise kids and hang out and keep a home and do whatever you do, that preaches louder than I can ever preach. I don't care where you put it on the internet, it doesn't matter. You preach louder than me. 
you preach more often than me. And particularly those of us who are older, whatever we consider that to be, whatever you consider that to be, I need you to model mercy. I think God's word calls you to model mercy. I think there's a reason here that uh, the oldest went first. That once they heard it, they went away one by one. Verse 9, beginning with the older ones. You preach louder than any mic'd up preacher. Change lives, living it out in real time in between Sunday services. That's the sermon that hits home every time. Pat Glenn, I think you do a phenomenal job of modeling wisdom, love, mercy, and truth. I just want to say that. You're sitting here. I can't not say that. I'm sure there are others here who do that as well. I just can't see you as clearly. Okay. <laughs> Roman numeral four. I want you to see that real mercy is given with no strings attached. Look at John 8, verses 10 and following. Because John 9 says that we're left with Jesus and the woman standing before him. So that's it. That's it. Now get this picture. You're like, all the people left and Jesus. All the people left. And now it's just Jesus and the lady. And there was a big hug and everybody was happy. Or all the people left except the one person who could like legit throw a stone. By his own decree. Show me why Jesus would have been wrong to throw that stone. Not at all. He would have been upholding the Mosaic law. He would have even followed his own. What he just said, hey, he among you who's without sin. Uh, footnote, that, that would be me I'm Jesus. But he among you who's without sin, maybe he was just clearing the deck so he could do this alone. What if it said right here in verse 10, Jesus stood up and picked up a rock and just... <clears throat> And the moral of the story is nobody has the right to judge other than God. Still a good story. Look at the text. Please look at verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman. Now, again, the secular. Look. Look how he calls her woman. Doesn't even call her by name. Yeah, it's the same word in the Greek that he uses to talk about his mom from the cross. So let's all just chill. This is a warm this is not, hey, you measly woman. This, there's no, ju- you, well, I'm just saying this to say, there's no judgmentalism here. None. There's no condemnation here. None. It's not, woman. It's, hey. Hey. Hey, sweetheart. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, remember, this is the moment. Could have been. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, in John 4, the woman at the well, we know what she did. She left the well, left her water jar there, ran into the town, told people about Jesus. We know what happened. What happened to this lady? She might have went back to the guy who made him breakfast. She might have went and lived her whole life for Jesus. We don't know. We don't know. We just don't 
No, I'd like to think that a near brush with death and a closer brush with Jesus Jesus, face-to-face experiencing his mercy in this way would have a life-changing impact on her, but we don't know. It ends in verse 11. The mercy Jesus shows the adulterous woman was truly unconditional. Do you withhold mercy because you don't know what the results will be in the long run? So I want to be merciful towards my spouse. I want to be merciful towards his friend. I want to show mercy towards this person in need, but I'm not sure what's going to, I can't see, I don't know the trickle down. You know what? So I'm going to, I'm just going to back away. I want to give in this way, but if I do, I think I don't know, I don't know the future, but I know what the future might be. So since I know what the future might be, I'm not going to be merciful. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold back. Like zero foundation for that in scripture. Mercy comes with no strings attached. Mercy isn't like, I'll be merciful to you because I know you're going to be super awesome afterwards, right? Can you write, can you just sign here? That's not how mercy works. That's certainly not how the mercy of God worked for you or for me. Mercy comes with no strings attached. The mercy we show others shouldn't be connected to a specific outcome we desire. The mercy we show, um, yesterday at the marriage conference, I said, Sarah and I don't keep score anymore. We don't show each other mercy during hard times because we know that if we do this, there's going to be payoff in the long run. I know that if I do, if I show her mercy, she's probably going to treat me good. That's not how mercy works. Mercy is not connected to an outcome. People show mercy for the sake of mercy and for the sake of the one who has shown us mercy. Do you withhold mercy because you don't know what the results will be in the long run? But here's the thing. Here is the thing. You literally could have walked in right now. Somebody actually just did. You could have walked in right now, missed the entire sermon, literally just hear this one point and hear all I really care that you know. Literally. Okay? Literally. Um, um, This is what it all comes down to. Eyes up here. You're the woman. You're the adulterous woman. I'm the adulterous woman. We all deserve to be stoned. And if we don't wrap our minds around that fact, we're going to keep thinking about this message and who we need to send it to. I'm not saying there's not application to be drawn from don't be a Pharisee, don't throw stones. But I think the most important application for you to realize is that you're her. And that Jesus has treated you like he's treated her. And that Jesus has come to you and shown you mercy with no strings attached. And that if you're a believer in Christ, this mercy has come without condition and without merit on your part and without uh, fine print on God's part. Because the mercy of God is so great. You deserve to be stoned. I deserve to be stoned. If we fail to realize this fact, we're, we're not going to personalize it. Isaiah 53, 6. Some people like sheep have gone astray. It's just not what it says. All people 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. I want to ask our worship team to come forward. Really, that's, guys, that's really all that matters is that when you look at this, you think, wow, I'm her. Wow, I've received mercy. That should be enough, all kidding aside, to drive home every other point of application. That should be enough to drive home anything else that we've covered in this text. Wow. I deserve to be stoned. Wow. It's, it's as if he said, go and sin no more, but said, you know what? Before you leave, here, hit me. I'll take it. I'll take the heat. I'll take the penalty. You're guilty. I'll take it. I'll pay. Here. Just, I'll hold still. Here, I'm going to throw myself down. Lay it on me. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to ask our worship team to just begin playing. And I'm going to read to you from the book of James. And I just want you to do whatever you can do to concentrate on the Word of God. If that means read along with me, do that. If that means close your eyes and listen, do that. But I'm going to read to you. Hear the Word of God. From James chapter 2. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Every time. God in heaven, thank you for that truth. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your mercy who triumphs over, that triumphs over judgment for me, for my brothers and sisters. Work in the heart of the person right now who is under judgment, who has not received your mercy because they know you not, because they love you not. God in heaven, would you intervene in such a way that their heart would be moved, that they would run towards mercy and receive it in victory and triumph because of Jesus Christ. Amen.